0: What I would tell everyone all the time, you can't have one exit strategy. You are shooting yourself in the foot, just like you can't have one acquisition strategy. I know, ask me how I know.
1: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies, brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam, AAA Adams, and I have the honor and the pleasure of joining Justin Colby on the show today, and we're actually talking about exit strategies, and I rarely hear podcasts with other people talking about the exit strategies. It's usually finding or funding a deal. And we often miss discussing the more important parts of like managing the deal, any kind of deal, whether it's managing a, a flip or managing a multifamily or whatever, and the disposition. Critical. Justin, why are we talking about exit strategies today?
0: Because it's everything. Your exit strategy actually helps your acquisition strategy. And so it's a very funny phenomenon that everyone only thinks about the acquisition strategy. And it comes from sales and, you know, your you know, make your money on the buy and all that philosophy. And I'm not totally opposed to it, but I also would say you are very short sighted. If you don't realize that is all based around the power of, Of your disposition, of your exit of that property, and so this is so important. It's under talked about. It's under uh, you know coached on, um, and so I'm very happy. Thank you for having me today, because I'm I'm just as passionate as you are about exit strategy.
1: Absolutely gets into uh, a book that my parents were very into a long time ago. We actually used to listen to the audio tapes and everything. Stephen Covey. begin with the end in mind. So when you're talking about disposition, the exit strategy, you said that it's what helps you figure out the acquisition strategy. Um, We're going to get a little bit into your bio. I know you've been on the show before, but I'm going to ask you a little bit of your bio. But right before we do that, why don't you talk to me what you mean on how come it is so critical to begin with the end in mind?
0: Well, because, so let's just, Say for what it is. Like, you know, I'm very big in the wholesaling, rehab, flipping, um, subject to type world, right? Pretty traditional, <clears throat> excuse me, single family condo, townhome space. Um, and if I know I'm going to meet with a seller that has a 2 2 condo for $100,000, I know it's probably not going to be wholesale to a rehabber. I potentially would want to buy it and rehab it myself, but then it comes down to, what do I do with that said property? That could be a great rental. That also could be a pretty good flip if I get the right number and the home needs enough value add, so to speak. And so understanding that I basically have two options here going into the front end based around two options on my exit. I could rehab it and turn it over and flip it or it's likely gonna be a good hold. And I know that based around it's a condo. It's two two. There's probably not these big margin or value adds, adding square footage, etc. So I know I have two options, and then I just need to figure out what the seller finds valuable in selling their home, and then I can say, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on the buy and hold option. The numbers I have, I, I do this prior to being a seller. I write down where I need to be in to buy and hold. I write down what I need rent to be. I write down if there's an HOA or whatever and all expenses. This is makes sense. It looks like it rents for $1,000. That's basically a top line gross 1% return. Perfect. If I can buy this at 100 grand, I'm holding this thing done. If I can't, or if the rent isn't there, or if it needs a lot of work to get it to $1,000 a month rent, I know I need to rehab it, right? And so it gives me the power. It genuinely gives me the power going into that meeting knowing I have two options, only two options. And then if you're a little bit More skilled, I can start thinking about how to do some sort of wrap, subject to agreement for sale with the seller, depending upon their actual, you know, situation financially, right? And so, it's really empowering knowing that you have, you know, again, if you're a buying whole guy, a rehab guy, uh, a, a wholesaler. Knowing what your back end exists. I'll give you a great example. I've done a lot of Facebook marketing recently. I found a guy who is crushing it for me on finding buyers through Facebook. I mean crushing. And in the last three days, I have found nine seller finance buyers. I don't necessarily have a lot of those known people that are looking to buy a home with seller financing that I can go to. Well, in two days or whatever is three days. I found nine that I've talked to that want to find homes that they can do that with. To me, as someone who wholesales a lot, that is massive. Now I know exactly how to structure deals that fit their model. So it's everything.
1: I've got a bunch of questions lined up and ready. Um, But before we do that, I'll do two things. Number one to the listener this matters no matter what as justin said like if you're if you're wholesaling you got to know the back end if you're if you're doing buy and hold if you're doing the burst strategy if you're doing seller financed you've got to understand the back end if you are following me and you're um, in multifamily and you're raising equity to buy these giant giant apartments you've got to know who you're selling that apartment to before you buy it because if you if you purchase a property out in the middle of nowhere and you don 't have any buyers, then you didn 't make your money when you bought you lost a ton of money so we 're really going to dive into a few strategies that 's going to really help you but and Justin when you came on the show before, we talked about mindset. you talked about how you used to wake up on the couch in your friend 's house, and I think you were like i can 't remember the exact." uh the detail but i think you had knocked for a year or two or three years. And like, then you got your deal and look at you now. Right. So um, if you're listening and you want to just get into Justin's mindset and learn a little bit more about what really made him tick. And he's so successful right now running the science of flipping podcast, helping other investors be able to look at this like a scientist. um, Justin, why don't you give us a bit of your background and then we'll hop into more questions on exit strategies.
0: Yeah, I'll keep it short. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was broke, busted, and disgusted. So if you're out there listening to this, you're in the right place. I had no money. I had no credit. I was sleeping on my friend's couch. But I knew I could create something more for myself, more for my future. And I knew, I had blind faith, I could do it in real estate. I didn't know nothing, right? Um, and so, yes, it took me nine months to get my first flip. Uh, you know, but almost immediately after that, I got a second one because you have what's called Momentum. And momentum can really pull you and push you into more. Um, And then I've been able to, you know, the year after that, I did six. And the year after that, 20 and 46 and 96, you know, on and on. And the journey has been crazy. I've now been flipping homes, wholesaling homes for 12 years. I started in 2007. And that's a long time. So with all the good, there has been some bad, right? And to be able to navigate those waters is what has given me my longevity But it also was being able to be flexible, to be able to be nimble, to be able to be fluid with the times that were changing, to understand exit strategy. It actually, this is why I wanted to be on this episode, is because it's been really my strength to be able to be nimble enough to create different exit strategies per the properties that I'm viewing, right? Whether it's a buy and hold, whether it's a subject to, whether it's a wholesale, maybe it's a wholesale lease option. Like to be able to be flexible and nimble enough now, so to date, I've done roughly 1,400 flips, and that includes rehabs and wholesales. Um, and so, you know, I've built a, a really successful business. And, and as a matter of fact, last year I helped start an iBuyer. For those that you don't know, like Open Door, OfferPad, Zillow, Redfin, they are considered iBuyers. Well, I helped start one over the last year or so. Um, that was an incredible journey. And now I'm back. And now I'm back to running my business and my company here in Phoenix, Arizona. And listen, you know, I know there's a lot going on in the world. I'm not here to talk about that right now, but you got to be nimble. you got to be fluid. you got to be flexible. you got to be creative. And the best way to do that is to understand where your exit strategy is, a better understanding of what you're trying to do, what is your goals. Like, start with the end in mind. You hear that all over the place now. That's all we're talking about. Start with the end in mind and be specific to the deal, the exit strategy, right? And so it's been a, it's been a fun ride. It's been a wild ride. Obviously I have my podcast and, and I'll, I'll give you guys a a kind of a give. I've correlated my podcast with a group on Facebook to give free content, to give free advice. Same thing, just more in video form, more in Facebook form. It's called the science of flipping academy group. It's all free. It's the same content, but now you can engage with me a lot more person, uh, personably versus a, a podcast where you can't really engage. Right. And so, um, that's my gift for you guys. Please go ask to be a part of it. It's closed. And I do that specifically. So just random people that don't care about real estate, don't join, um, join, I will approve you. And, and it's great. It really, I have a sense of wanting to give back the same way you Adam podcast that you You know the podcast to give back to help others to teach and it's fun. So I do the same thing. So it's been a wild ride. It's been fun.
1: Oh, awesome. Okay, so the Science of Flipping Academy group—you'll you can just search for that right now on Facebook. So if you're not driving, just grab your phone, grab your computer, and just put in like the Science of Flipping Academy group on your Facebook, and you'll be able to ask to join and uh, let Justin know that you're a listener of the show, and he will approve you. All right, so Justin. Wanted to really dive into just strategies. I know how critically important it is to begin with the end in mind and understand how you can exit, how you're going to exit, creative ways to exit. Now, if we just take a step back and, and think if we're trying to really learn uh, how to do this, how to be able to think about your exit strategy in the beginning. What are some of the types of exit strategies that you employ first off?
0: Yeah. So for me specific to the real estate, you know, residential game um, for the most part, you know, I love the ability to wholesale, but that is predicated on who I have to buy the home, which goes right back to this, right? This is the whole thing. and That's why a buyer's list is so valuable. That's why I've hired a guy. And by the way, for any of your listeners that want to know who he is, I'm happy to share his information and all that kind of stuff. He they quotes, can just
1: reach out to you, maybe on Science of Flipping Academy group, and you can share perfect. that name. Okay. Or, or
0: Instagram the Justin Colby or Facebook the Justin Colby. Just perfect. reach out. I will share the name. I'll share the contact. I'm happy to give back. That's what it's for. Awesome. Um, he's awesome. But what he does for me is he actually is able to help me find different type of buyers. For example, I had a, a buyer that came through through the Facebook ad, came to me. He's a contractor. He said, hey, dude, I buy two properties. As long as I have two properties running, I'm buying, right? I buy cash, but I'm not a big buyer. I just got to keep two properties going at all times. This guy is a contractor. He has no overhead costs. He's like, I legitimately will pay more than most other rehabbers because I'm doing the work myself. I won't be your biggest buyer, but I'll buy six deals a year from you. Send me your deals, right? That type of connection, that type of buyer is not... You know, you're not going to go find them at wherever, right? Like he admittedly, he's like, dude, I just have known a lot of agents for years. The agents have been referring me deals for years. That's how I get my deals. So love to be able to work with you as a wholesaler. That is a massive value to me. Now I know who he is. I know he can pay a little more. So if the deal is a little thinner, I couldn't negotiate a better deal. Maybe the seller owes too much, whatever. I know he'll pay a little bit more. I just mentioned the nine... Seller finance buyers, those are awesome because then you can get really creative on the front end of it when people are a little bit in trouble or maybe they just own the home free and clear. Maybe they don't need the money and you can structure a note. Again, this is going more towards understanding this process. You structure a note with the seller the and you wholesale it to the end buyer. The seller gets some money in their pocket. I get my wholesale fee and the end buyer has a note that they didn't have to get a bank doing seller financing. I have nine of those now that came in the last three days. So understanding who you have in your buyer's list as a wholesaler is so powerful. Like I can't express it enough how important this is. Um, Yeah. And so
1: I feel, and I'm sorry to cut uh, you off. I feel like there's a lot of um, wholesalers or, or people that have heard that wholesaling was a nice way to get involved into real estate and they, haven't built a buyer's list at all they started by knocking on doors and once they kind of start to lock something up they can never figure out how to get rid of it like they put a lot of time they put a lot of effort but they're not going to make money because they haven't thought about what you just said that critical piece of knowing who you have on the buy side where you're going to deploy it and how you're going to package it up with for them with a note or with a wholesale fee or with a a signable contract with a double close whatever Uh, so i think that's really interesting keep keep going i i didn't mean to cut you off i just wanted to you know um bring that up
0: yeah no and i think kind of putting it a little bit even more in your world like if i know that i have a a, um, a package deal buyer let's say And I know if I can go get 16 three-bedroom, two-bed homes built from 2000 or newer, and I can get those and package them together and sell it off to a buyer because it performs at a certain rate in ROI, that the, the return is in their box, the price point, the model of home, all of that is something that they are looking to only buy package deals or apartment complexes, or any of the kind of more bigger. Well, now I know I can go find each and every one of these deals on the acquisition side because I know this buyer exists, and all I have to do is go get those deals. All I have to do is go package them together and send it to this buyer, and he will buy it. Now, the the, the um, you know, the idiosyncrasies of how I get those deals and how I'm packed you know, they all might be a little different. They all might be the same. Maybe I have a bunch of cash. Maybe, you know, I raise money to buy the deal so I can pack, like all that stuff. That's not necessarily what we're here to talk about, but it gives me the freedom to know I can go get that for said buyer in your space. You know, maybe you want to be able to accumulate a certain amount of doors to sell it off to a much larger fund. That's your exit strategy, maybe. And you know, I'm making that up, but it might be, right? And so, you know, I need to go accumulate this many doors at this ROI, so that I can sell this off to the fund five years and wash my hands of all this and I'm out. Right. Knowing that now, you know, where to go, you know, where to direct your time, energy and money to go do it. Right. It creates everything is, is thinking with the end in mind, understanding what your exit strategy is, you know, the, the bigger philosophy of, you know, what's your, why, what are you all doing it for? You know, what's the end goal here? Right. If you could go print ten million dollars right now, when you stop doing it, all that stuff can it only um, puts a magnifying glass on how we're talking about it. Like, what yeah. is our why? Well, my why is to increase my bottom line this year on a big get a big way. That's what I'm doing it for. So I need to know my exit strategies so I can go in and negotiate stronger on the front end.
1: Yeah, for sure. And the way this applies to a multifamily person, anybody who's listens to this podcast and really is trying to be in multifamily, the way that this um, works for you, and and you'll notice this is there's a lot of people that are out there and trying to get into multifamily, trying to build, uh, when I say a buyer's list, I mean, a passive investor list. Mm -hmm. And they are They are thinking about wanting to get good cap rates. or thinking about all this stuff. And there's really two places that you need to be thinking about the end game. End game number one is simply just after you get it under contract, who are you going to raise the money from if you're syndicating this? So the question for you is going to be, if I go into a podunk town, am I going to find Uh, sophisticated investors that want to put 150,000 down each so that I can have that million dollars with eight people. Um, Or are those types of investors only wanting to place their money into bigger markets, Mm -hmm. stronger markets, markets that they've heard of. And so that's your first uh, time that you're going to run into an issue if you don't think about the end in mind. And the second place, That you're really going to show up to an issue when you're thinking about the end is once I have fulfilled my business plan, once I've done to the property what I need to do with it, who's going to buy it? So again, if you're going to a podunk town, are you going to be able to find a buyer that can pay a decent cap rate, which means a high price, or are you only going to be able to find mom and pop buyers who want a deal? Now, if you're looking at, for instance, DFW, you're easily going to find tons and tons of buyers that are willing to pay a high price to be in that market. But if you're looking at Big Spring, Texas, where uh, there's a little bit more oil and stuff like that, are you going to be able to find a management company, is your buyer going to be able to find a management company? Is your buyer going to be able to pay a, a four cap, five cap, six cap? Or are they going to have to pay an eight, nine, ten cap, which is a cheap price? And the problem that I see a lot of people getting in is they haven't considered some of these things. So they, they have trouble raising money. And then later on, they have even more trouble selling the deal and they lose money for their investors. It's unfortunate, but you've got to be thinking about these things. Justin, what's a... What's another uh, big tip that uh, a takeaway that we can have for, you know, just just thinking about the disposition, how we're going to exit the properties that can be valuable to the audience. And then we'll get into our final five questions with you.
0: Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. What you're saying can be in any segment of real estate. And, And the reason why I say that is like, understand how many actual transactions are happening in any given city, like just transactions, How many actual listings are on the MLS? How many actual cash transactions were closed? How many closings happened? This can get refined down to zip codes. So when I go and spend a bunch of money marketing, I want to know I'm spending money in zip codes that people even want to buy homes in, right? So I don't just refine it from, you know, Maricopa County to Phoenix. I bring it down to the zip code, right? And so... To me, it's because of that. Like, I don't want to go into an area that there is no exit strategy. No one's going to go buy the home. Two homes a year get sold in the zip code. That's not my zip code. So understanding the data behind it is just as important because, again, for those of you that have a marketing budget or are putting a lot of sweat equity into it, don't spend your time in those zip codes. Don't research those. Like, find out those data points, right? Are there cash transactions going down? How many listings are still available? How long have they been available? How many total transactions have happened, right? How many new transactions have come to light Um, or new MLS listings over the last 30 days, 60 days? Those understanding that, just like your reference to the podunk, same idea. Like you don't want to be there because there is no exit strategy or your exit strategies get minimized. What I would tell everyone all the time You can't have one exit strategy. You are shooting yourself in the foot, just like you can't have one acquisition strategy. I know, ask me how I know, because that is the times I got in trouble. I got in trouble when my only acquisition strategy was buying from auction. I got in trouble when my only acquisition strategy was buying from wholesalers. I got in trouble when I only tried cash offers to sellers. I got in trouble when I only wholesaled to cash buyers who were flipping. Those are one like when I only did one thing is when I got into trouble. And so, you know, understand you have to have diversity. If you have only one exit strategy and that's the only thing you're doing, you're likely going to get hurt. Now, yes, you can also win. I get that. But having multiple exit strategies, multiple plans, and I don't like the plan A, plan B. I'm just saying have a um be, be eclectic with your exit strategy. If it doesn't work in this model, see if it can work in this model. That will help you get more deals done, create more revenue, and open up bigger opportunities.
1: That's one of the big things that I, I stress a lot on the podcast, on the creative real estate podcast. It's people, um, you know, I actually had two people give me a one star review ever. And both of them were like, this isn't creative. This is about multifamily. This isn't creative. This is about business building. Um, and that's okay. If you feel that way and you're listening and all you wanted to know was a lease option, that's totally cool. You can give me a one-star review. No biggie. Um, then I'll have three. Anyway, the, the point is that what I try to really drive home is what, what Justin just said. You can't have one exit strategy. The definition to me of a creative real estate is being able to be flexible. Think outside the box. When I think about um, a handyman or somebody trying to get a something to happen, they can't show up with just a screwdriver. they got to have a hammer and they've got to have a saw and they've got to have uh, a this and a that and a this because you can't complete a job without the right tools and having the right tools is basically in within real estate is understanding what is wholesale? What is lease option? What is a cash buyer? What is, you know, uh, uh, a purchase on, uh, on whatever. There's all sorts of random ways to do this business. And you're going to, like Justin just said, you're going to be effective And you're going to make money in any situation if you bring your whole tool belt. But if you go in there just with a hammer and being like, I'll buy it all cash, you're not going to be able to help enough people. So this business is about helping people, helping the sellers get out the way that they need to get out and helping the end buyer be able to get in the way that they need to get in. And so you got to be educating yourself in this business to be able to not just have that one exit strategy or that one entrance strategy. When you mentioned um, a moment ago, Justin, when you said that you've got to understand the data behind the purchase and the sale. Um, is that something you can help us understand is like where to find that data, how to find that data, what maybe even what data is important.
0: Yeah. So there are, first of all, title companies are a great resource, right? They will a lot of times be able to give you how many listings are on the MLS currently in your said target, how many transactions happened last month, last quarter, last year in your said target. Um, Those are things that you should be tracking. How many of those were cash? If you have access to MLS, MLS should be able to give you that kind of stuff. But then, you know, the, the, again, title company should be able to do that. Uh, There are services like um, find cash buyers now that can give you that data. How many cash transactions that went down? um, I used that service. Um, And so knowing the data with that, and then knowing how many of those buyers are buying multiple properties you might only need one connection, right? Maybe five, but you know, one person is doing 22 deals a month in cash. That's your guy, right? Or that's your whoever. So knowing the data on the market is everything, right? And so again, like I said, title companies are a great resource for their, for that. <clears throat> some cities have different structures. Like you might be able to go online and just research this stuff. In some cities, you can't. You have to use the MLS here in Phoenix. Um, but again, knowing... How many closings there were, how many canceled listings there were, right? How many cash transactions, how many new listings came up over the last 30 days? What was the percentage of positive or negative? Did that transaction swing with new listings versus closings? How much total is on the market to sell? What's the the strength of that economy? Again, that can be county-based, city-based, zip code-based. That's what you want to know. Um, I leverage title companies and MLS primarily with fine cash buyers. Now between those three things, it gives me the data.
1: Awesome. I love it. This is all really good. And I suspect that if the listeners has more questions wanting to learn how to learn what days on market, total on market, strength of the economy, all this kind of stuff, they can go to the science of flipping Academy group on Facebook real quick and literally just shoot you a question, right?
0: Yeah. It, again, they would have to ask to be approved. The answer is yes. Once they're approved, a hundred percent. If you're not there yet, you also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, The Justin Colby. Follow me there, and I will answer those questions there as well. I mean, I'm I'm here to give, right? And so, absolutely, all three of those are great ways.
1: I'm gonna take. Let's take a real quick break, and when we get back, I'm gonna ask Justin about the most creative deal he's ever done. Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought you'd be further along financially by now? If so, you're not alone. Many people find themselves wanting to ditch their 9-to-5, wishing they had more time with their family. What most people want is to simply live the life that they choose, and with plenty of money to do so. The good news is you can live an abundant life through apartment investing. Mark and Tamil Kenny with Think Multifamily help you take back the time and freedom so that you can live free from the stresses that burden so many. Through multifamily investing, they teach you how to set your family up for a lifetime of true success and fulfillment. They have helped hundreds of people just like you. Patrick, for example, who since working with Think Multifamily has purchased over 900 units with another 850 under contract. And at 27 years old, was able to quit his demanding job in corporate America. Regardless of your age or profession, Think Multifamily can help you create the life of your dreams. As hosts of the new Think Multifamily podcast, Mark and Tamil will walk you through the journey step-by-step to make sure you are completely set up for success. Through this interview-style podcast, you will gain a proven strategic apartment investing system. And hear stories from successful investors, all to help you be light years ahead of those who try to do it alone. Subscribe to the Think Multifamily podcast today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash podcast. Mr. Justin Colby, what is the most creative deal that you've ever done?
0: Yes. So that is a great question. And so I will be straightforward. I don't go massively creative, but I do a good amount of what we call agreement for sales every year. And it's very similar to subject twos. Here in Arizona, the biggest difference, and again, depending upon where you're listening to this, you might be able to do these, you might not. I know, you know uh, land trusts and, and land contracts on the East Coast are really big. Out here, you can do an agreement for sale. But the difference, and this is why we do so many of them, A subject to, when you contract a subject to, which means you're buying the home subject to the existing loan, so the seller's leaving their loan in place and you're going to start paying it, um, the title actually transfers over to you, okay? Now you are on title of the home and the loan is still in the seller's name. It can get a little sticky, especially if the bank wants to do a pay in full. Um, Not that they're illegal, they're completely legal, but... Can get a little sticky. Um, I use agreement for sales and what the the main difference there is all of that structure stays the same. The loan stays in the the seller's name that I don't actually take title of the home until I pay the loan off in full. Hmm. The reason why I really like that is the seller is ultimately protected. I'm going to start paying their mortgage. I potentially can get them a, a chunk of money in their pocket because I'm likely going to either wholesale it or keep it for myself. Um, And uh, uh, I can create a balloon and wholesale it if I don't want to keep it for myself, right? And so I can do, you know, a five-year balloon to the seller. To my buyer, I create a three-year balloon. Their loan is 30 years. So all of this can get shrunk down in time. I have a buyer, like I just said, I have nine of these buyers now that want this. I have a buyer that can't get a loan but has cash. It helps the seller because they're not losing ownership of the home. They're not losing their mortgage. I'm just now paying for it. They get a chunk of money in their pocket. I get a chunk of money in my pocket and the buyer gets a home they want. Or if I don't want to wholesale it, I keep it for myself. And now I have a great rental. I didn't have to go get a loan. So I don't. I can you know not worry about the Frank Dodd Act and I can start paying a 3%, 4% interest rate versus – a six or 7% that you can go get from a bank for an investment property. And so it is great. I utilize it a good amount every single year. Like I said, it's not massively, massively creative and I didn't go do a bunch of stuff. But for those of you out there that are acquiring specifically single family homes, condos, townhomes, this is a great tool in your tool belt that actually should be used on every single time you make an offer to a seller. Cause if you are in hammer, then everything looks like a nail. And if you are just giving cash offers and cash offers and cash offers, then that's just your nail. You're the hammer, the nail, that's it. But you need to have a tool belt. And I would really encourage you to structure every offer in two ways minimum, cash and agreement for sale. And, you know, you can have thirds and fourths, but for sake of simplicity, uh, let's keep it to two. And if you have more questions, hit me up on Instagram or Facebook, and, and I'm happy to answer
1: Justin Colby, thank you for coming on the show. Justin is from the Science of Flipping Academy. So you can go and find the Science of Flipping podcast or join the Science Flipping Academy group online. Justin's done 1,400 transactions, 1,400 flips with wholesales and fix and flips combined, which is amazing since around 2008, around the crash, 12 ish years already. It's, it's awesome. Uh, if you want to connect with him, Justin, what's the best way for them to find you?
0: Same as I said, just go to social media, The Justin Colby. Again, The Justin Colby on Instagram and Facebook. Connect with me, right? Follow me, like me, and then I will engage with you. It's not some robot, it is me. So that's all I ask. Make sure you like me, you know, and follow me on Instagram, like my page, and ask me questions. Be open about it, and I'm happy to communicate and and answer any and all questions you got.
1: Grateful for you coming back on the show again. I really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go, but until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Thanks for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. If you got value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Until next time, think outside the box.